Inside Syracuse Basketball with Mike Waters. Presented by Syracuse.com. College basketball is a great thing. Anything can happen. Welcome to the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. I'm Mike Waters. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by former Syracuse basketball player Matt Rowe. Matt and I had an incredible conversation on a variety of topics, including what Georgetown coach John Thompson yelled at him after making four three-pointers, what John Thompson told Matt was his favorite SU Georgetown memory, why Matt transferred from Syracuse, and why he came back to his hometown years later, and going to see the Batman movie with the late Hank Gathers. I had always thought that I was going to get Matt Rowe on the podcast at some time, but I didn't really plan on having him this week. But after our previous guest, Stevie Thompson, uh, was on, and in and, and that, and that podcast, Stevie starts talking about a play that took place in a Syracuse game in 1988 against Indiana at Madison Square Garden. And Syracuse fans will remember it as the famous Sherman Douglas football hike pass, where Sherman hiked the ball almost half the length of the court to Stevie Thompson, who was streaking um, to the basket and dunked it. And Stevie noted that there was another Syracuse player on the other side, filling the lane on the opposite uh, side of the court from him, who was also out there on the fast break. And it was none other than this guest, Matt Rowe. Matt, how are you, sir? Mike, great, great introduction. Um, I'm great. Uh, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. But it was funny. After that podcast aired, I get a text from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because as Stevie pointed out, you're on the break too. And actually, he admitted you were slightly ahead of him. It and was amazing. He was, was never throwing yeah. you the ball. No, it was first off, it was an amazing podcast. I was totally into it. As I told you before the show, I, I learned a lot about Stevie and he's probably one of my teammates I was closest with the three years I was at Syracuse. But um, interesting story, as that was playing, you know, Stevie had mentioned previously I played with seven or eight NBA players when I was at Syracuse. I, I played with seven of them as well, him, him being one of them. Uh, but I, as he's ta- telling the story, I'm like, he's got to mention my name here. And I'm like, I was ahead of him. He should have passed me the ball. I've thought that for 30 years. Uh, the interesting thing about it, looking at it, and even as I text you and watch the end of the podcast and then pulled it up on YouTube to watch it just to make sure I was a full step ahead of him with my arm, right arm out, uh, leading it. It's interesting. As we all grow up, you know, our parents always teach us in basketball you know, play the right way, you know, but it gets to a certain point when you get started being recruited as an athlete, you have to have a little selfishness in you. And my dad always instilled in me, hey, you know, it's probably better for you to shoot if one person's on you, if you're double teamed, but if someone's wide open on the basket, give it to them. But if someone's ahead of you on a fast break, obviously give it to them. But after watching it a couple more times, I really don't blame Stevie. And here's why. Number one, I wouldn't have dunked it like him. I know that. Everyone always asks me, could you dunk? I was 6'5". I could dunk easily. I could tomahawk it. I could reverse it. I've dunked in games. I've dunked on players. But I wasn't a high-wire act like Steve. Most unbelievable athlete I ever played with. But if you really look at the essence of that pass by, by Sherman Douglas, the hype pass, phenomenal. It's why it gets all the YouTube clicks, the hits. It's on every video. But really, if you put yourself in Sherman's shoes and Stevie, who I know had blinders on as that ball's in the air and he was going to dunk it, 
why give Sherman a hockey, you know, a hockey assist, right? I mean, he's got to right. be the real, like, if you're Stevie thinking, if this pass is coming my way, I'm going to be the one to finish it. How bad would it look for Stevie to catch say, oh, here you go, Matt, and then he's not going to be part of history. I get it, trust me. But at the time, I still thought he should have passed him. In the game, I'm like, and if you watch me, I knew after one step and he took a dribble, I just said, I'm getting back on defense. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to beat him there. So it, it's a fun play, but um, I, I really don't blame him. But at the time, I really wanted him to pass me the ball. And for anybody listening to the podcast who hasn't seen that play, and I'm, I'm assuming 99% <clears> of those <throat> listeners have, but just it's on YouTube. Just type in Sherman Douglas football hike. It's going to come up. The clip is there. And, yes, clear as day, Matt Rowe is filling the right lane on the opposite <laughs> side of the court. Of Stevie. And, I, and I remember you putting your arm up. Yeah, which was Trust the most me. hysterical thing I've ever seen. Running, running very hard too, thinking is it balls in there? I'm going to get this. And what's what's crazy about it is, you know, you watch all these dumb videos that people put on YouTube about Syracuse. And listen, we had high wire acts. We, had, you know, the guy who backed me up, David Johnson, you know, could, could put his head on the rim. Stevie Thompson, Derek Coleman, Ronnie Cycli, and Sherm was a catalyst of all those assists. And it's funny, um, out of all those highlights you see. I may have had one on a fast break, but I'm in none of those highlights in Syracuse. Comics. I mean, zero of them. With the guys I play with, I don't blame it. Again, on Stevie, I don't blame them on this. But what, what talent we had back then. Oh, my God. What was it like to play with a bunch of guys? And you said, like, you, you played with seven or eight future NBA guys. But not only were you playing with great players, you were playing with some personalities, like Derek Coleman, Sherman, Ronnie Cycli, uh, even the guys who weren't, like, the names we know. Uh, that those that those teams from 1987 to 1989, 90 in there, I mean, you, you played with some strong personalities, is the way I'll put it. Well, it's interesting. I think what started it all, Mike, is right before you got here. I believe in '89 is you know Pearl Washington commits to Syracuse, and you know back then guys before they made a minimum age go to the NBA probably would have gone straight to the NBA. It was on a radio show that he committed. McDonald's All-American, one of the top five players in the country. So I think that started all the, you know, the hysteria for basketball in this area. But when I was uh, a high school athlete going up there to play pickup ball at Manly, I mean, you think about it, Pearl declared for the draft and Sherman backed him up his freshman year. Um, you had Michael Brown, who was a McDonald's All-American who transferred to Clemson. And you had Rodney Walker, who was a McDonald's All-American, who really got beat out by Derek Coleman, who was in my class in, in 86, 87. And we had technically two McDonald's All-Americans in our class, Derek Coleman and Stevie Thompson. And then Earl Duncan, who was the first victim casualty of Prop 48, uh, was one of those borderline McDonald's games. You know, he was what would have been in the Jordan Classics today. So we had three guys in the top you know, 30, and then you throw in Keith Hughes uh, in our class who ended up Earl and Keith transferred to Rutgers. Uh, they were all top 50 guys. I was the only guy out of the top 50 in that recruiting class and Eric Rogers had redshirted. So there was just, you know, there's so many interesting guys on our team. I mean, I, the guy who kept us all laughing all the time was Derek Brower. You had, you know, Herman Harid, uh, Cycli was just, you know, that run we had our freshman year to the national championship game and losing to Indiana. I mean, those road trips, uh, we played the first two at the Dome and then we go to East Rutherford, New Jersey, and just in the hotel and 
watching ESPN and having Ronnie run around the hotel saying he wasn't getting respect from Dick Vitale. And, you know, we just make this magical run. Uh, but, but the guys who were kind of just our rock in that whole scenario was our captains, Greg Monroe and Howie Trishan. They don't get enough, um, you know, accolades for that run. I mean, those guys were selfless. They were great role players. Uh, they kept the glue together. Uh, you know, no one had ever Sherman Douglas, really. Everyone thought Pearl was coming back for senior, and he's a third-team All-American that year, taking us all the way to the championship game out of nowhere, really. Uh, so it was just – it was a fun group. There was never a dull moment. Uh, practices were very tough. Uh, I, I try to tell my kids, and, you know, when I coached at Fairfield, you know, freshman year is hard. I mean, I, I was like the 11th, 12th man. I fought, you know, scratch and claw just to get into a practice. Uh, just to get in the top five on the second team in practice. Uh, we had great walk-ons, uh, Joel Katz, Joey Cohn. Uh, these guys were, were unbelievable. So you looked at that team, it's, you know, one through 15. It wasn't just uh, Ronnie or Derek as a freshman with a rebound record. I mean, our whole team was a battle every day and great guys, and we enjoyed being with each other. And the, the great thing was there was no one – there was no ego at that time. You know, there was no, um, you know – the ball was shared. Guys played hard. And, and, and those years were great. It laid the foundation of, of my three years at Syracuse. It's just, um, you know, you gotta, you got to come every day and practice and, and earn your spot. There's no days off. You know, looking back on your career at Syracuse, you played in the wrong era. <laughs> I mean, your junior year, you made 47% of your three-point shots. That is still the single season record at Syracuse for highest three point percentage. And by the way, you took 175 threes. That sounds like a lot. It's really yeah. not. No, it's, not about, it's about four and a half attempts per game. Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me throw something. By the way, you were fifth on the team in field goal attempts. The, the Derek and Stevie and Sherman and those guys apparently did not value your shooting ability enough. Well, here, the, the threes wasn't that big. I know you're going to give me more stats. Threes were not big then. But, again, we can get into it later of why I transferred. But I'm a fifth option on that team. Think about it. So, sophomore year, I got Cycli, Coleman, Stevie Thompson, Sherman, myself, and then take out Cycli and put in Billy Owens, who's the freshman of the year. And, and I get in this argument with Billy, and I, you'll probably have the stats. Billy only averaged one or two points a game more than me his freshman year, and I was a junior. I think he averaged 13. I may have averaged 11. Maybe. But he says, no way I outscored you by a lot. I think it was – he – you know, I'll see him – you see him at the Big East. I'm like, Billy, I outscored you your freshman year. He's like, no way. And, and he's right. He, I think he outscored me by two. One or two, Mike, could be. But he was only like 13 a game as a freshman. Okay, Matt Rowe is right, ladies and gentlemen. Billy yeah. Owens is a freshman, averaged 13 a game, and Matt averaged 11. There you go. Think about that. Well, think about this. You averaged 11 points a game and you were making 47% of your threes. Okay, fifth, fifth option, okay. And talking about the wrong era, Patino just brought it in with Providence. You know, uh, Del, Delray Brooks, Billy the Kid. And that's, we met him my freshman year in the final four. That's where the three started to become something that, hey, coaches want to use it. But look at the, the three-point line came in my freshman year and, Greg Monroe edged me out, I think, as a career three-point shooting field goal. He's like half a percent maybe of that, but he only had one season with it and probably only took less than 100, I would think. 
and I less had, than a hundred. Yes. And I had and I had three years there. But again, I, I didn't play my freshman year. I mean, I played 13 games my freshman year. Probably yeah. looking back, and I know Coach Pam with Christmas probably should have registered. Probably, but you know, back then you don't know. You just go and you're, you know, 17-year-old freshman. You want to play, you're part of it, and you don't know how good those guys are they're men you know I ask kids this all the time you get mad as a freshman coming into college and you're not playing did you start on varsity as a freshman I had the same conversation with my son my son made varsity at FM as a freshman and probably only played a quarter and a half I I was on the JV team as a freshman and I didn't start until my sophomore year he he was one of the better players I should sophomore but uh it's it's tough they're they're the three years older than you they're 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 you know men to boys yeah. All right. So I want to have a little fun before we go okay. on because I, I can't let go of this three point sure. thing. Yeah. Trust me. All right. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm going to make Matt Rowe mad, everybody. All right. So you took on average four and a half three pointers a game as a junior. Four and a half. This SU player took eight and a eight three pointers a game while making only 38% of them. And he also led his team in scoring at 17.8 points per game, leading the team in not only three-point attempts, but field goal attempts. Name that Syracuse player. I should have the last name because I would have played more. Buddy Behan. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. At first I thought it was going to be GMAC, but then I thought 38%. Look at Buddy. You know, you Buddy's don't want those GMAC numbers. Yeah, well, Buddy, that's a lot of volume. But listen, comparison, and I'm not looking. Buddy Beheim, hell of a player, great IQ, coach's son, phenomenal. Uh, look, he started his freshman year, I believe he was two for 31. Uh, somewhere in that realm, really struggled. Got the second, third, fourth opportunity, which which is important. And again, he played a lot more than my freshman year, but um, probably much better uh with the ball, creating shots. I learned that in Europe. I, you know, look, at I was a, I was a one-trick pony in college. I could shoot. Um, coach tried to get me into more of the shot, fake one dribble, draw contact like Chris Mull on the baseline. And then I think that came more in Europe. I had to learn to, to – to, 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 I learned how to dribble. I, I give a lot of that credit to Mike Hopkins, actually. When I was, left Maryland, came back, I'd work out a lot with Hop um, in Manly Fieldhouse when he got into his coaching. So when I was in Europe playing seven years, I really developed a better ball handling skills with a lot of his drills that he did with cones and chairs, and it helped me tremendously. Um, and it's funny because Hop actually lived on my couch for a season before he got into coaching when he was playing over in Holland, and he got cut by the team, and he practiced with my team, and then he came and coached. He was the, the GA, I guess, in Syracuse. So He lived on your couch? Lived on my couch for about a month, yeah. In, in yeah. Holland? No, I was in France. He had been cut in Holland by his team, and then he got another tryout. But when I was in Basel-Somme, France, I had a coach who had passed away, Charlie Offer. He was uh, an American guy from Long Island, married a French woman, real nice guy. He used to let you know other players come and work out with us because you only have seven or eight pros, and you have what's called Esquires. There are young guys that go to school. We practice twice a day, so at night you have maybe 12 guys. During the day, we'd maybe only have seven, eight, hop at the time for about a month, worked out with our team trying to stay in shape to play in Holland and lived on my couch. Uh, interesting. This is probably back in, I want to, you know, 90, 
394, somewhere in there. Uh, pretty, no, excuse me, to before that. Uh, it, yeah, 93, 94, somewhere in there. Um, crazy times. Um, so anyways, back to Buddy. I mean, he he's shooting in a much longer distance than I am. He's now the last year, you know, this year is going to be the focal point of the offense. But teams are dogging him. I mean, that, that 38%, I mean, whether he's coming off COVID or not, he struggled earlier in the year. And he was down in the 20s, you know, high 20s and got it up. So, you know, 33% to me is my number. I tell everyone's respectable because it's 50% from twos, 33.3, 50 from twos. Uh, so he got respectable late in the year. He got caught fired during the NCAA tournament. But look at he's the main, he's the first, second guy in the scouting report. I was the fourth, fifth, or sixth, right? Difference. Uh, so they're hot on him from the jump. And, um, you know, he's got, he's, he's got more of um, – you know, more off the ball skills than I did at that age. Uh, but but you're a gym rat, and that's what it takes, you know. And, and again, he's got a shot at the NBA. You know, I wish times were changing, but you're probably going with this. If I could, you know, could have had more shots, more emphasis on the three. Um, and, the, you know, you have a shot at, shot at playing in the league because today it's the 3 and D guys, and it's the guys that can spread the court if you get in the right team. You know, I thought Andy Routens by now really – probably would have had a seven or eight or nine year NBA career. It's just catching on with the right team. He gets on with the Knicks and it's not the right team for him. And then guys get on that one foot in the boat, one in the dock. Do I want to make money mm -hmm. uh, play in Europe or do I want to keep getting cut and playing the G league and, you know, G league and CBA that I played in is not a lot of money. You, you're living paycheck to paycheck. Sure. Now in the, in the, in the course of this uh, conversation <laughs> here, you mentioned that, you went to, you transferred from Syracuse. Yeah. You had only one year of eligibility left and you transferred to Maryland because you wanted to do more than just be, uh, you know, penciled in only as a, as a shooter, as a, you wanted to do more. Um, looking back on it, is that still the right move for you? Oh, wow. It's, it's, <laughs> You know, there's a, I think there's a show out there now. I could be wrong on the name. It's like Ordinary Joe. I'm laughing at it. It's a guy that has forks on the road and he can choose different. You know, he could have been a, a doctor, could have been a teacher, could have been a rock star or something like that. You know, it was a big fork in the road for me. Um, I contemplated leaving after my sophomore year. Didn't have the right situation. Went back. It was a tough year. Um, you know, when you, you're playing with greats, like a, like a Billy Owens, uh, a Derek Sherman, Stevie, a lot of the things that go wrong on the court, right, wrong, I heard, you know, on, on Stevie's podcast, Stevie never got yelled at. And Stevie, right, wrong, or different, was a 3-5 a, a student, did everything right. Um, a gym rat like myself, uh, but didn't make a lot of mistakes. You know, was our best defender, we would swap off, I'm a two, he's a three, but he would usually guard the two. You know, I would guard a three. Uh, you know, depending on size, we didn't play a lot of zone back then. So Stevie was a great defender. Stevie could score. What, what a lot of people don't know about Stevie, he's a great shooter in practice. You witnessed it probably in 89. I mean, he could shoot 98 out of 100 free throws. Honest to God, he's probably a better shooter than me in practice. I was one of those guys that would shoot the stats paired out one for two in practice from three, and I'd shoot one for two in a game. I mean, I was close to a 45 to 50 percent from three. And you know, people want to say whether I was open or not. A lot, a lot of teams played zone. They play as man, and they're probably doubling down on Coleman and Suckley. So you do get looked, but a lot of them sometimes would be in transition. So I'd find the spot. But, 
Do the transfer right thing. I, one regret is I think the team I would have come back to, Mike, mm-hmm. um, and you get a lot of grief, I think, for writing about this, on transfers that affected Syracuse. I really believe we had a national championship team. Um, was I traded out, so to speak, you know, for Laron Ellis? I mean, I don't know. Do we really need another big man on that team? That team needed a shooter. Um, at yeah. times, I think they, they started Stevie at the one, tried to go big, didn't work out, started Michael Edwards, you know, moved David Johnson on a lineup. David didn't play a lot for that team at all. And he got a lot of my minutes my junior year with his athleticism and he could score and transition. Um, but again, I think that team struggled from three. They lose to Minnesota. I, I don't know the exact stats, uh, but, you know, Tony Scott had a lot of volume that game and not put it on one guy, but they couldn't make any threes. Um, so I, I think that team has a chance to win it all. Um, but going to Maryland, you know, I a lot of people don't know the visits I went on. I I went – my first visit was when – when I left Syracuse was to Northwestern, and Bill Foster was a coach. And the only reason I didn't go there was, number one – um, I looked at the, the business school, Kellogg, unbelievable education. Um, I could get a year, you know, maybe start grad school with a transfer. But Coach Foster told me that he wouldn't play me at the two. And I asked him why. And he told me he had a guy named Rex Walters. Okay. And I'm like, who's he? And he goes, he's one of our top recruits we've ever had. Well, Rex Walters was kind of a borderline McDonald's, ends up going to Kansas, is now a coach. Um, did really well there, but transferred from Northwestern to Kansas. So at the three, I looked at myself in the Big Ten, guarding the likes of Glenn Rice, uh, Nick Anderson. It really wasn't going to happen. Um, so then I looked at uh, my next visit was at, at Kentucky with Rick Patino. He just got the job. Oh, wow. Uh, these, are, these are great, great stories. So Patino gets the job, literally flies in probably the week before I came in for my visit. They're on probation. I knew Rick through Five Star. Uh, he came into the clinic. He asked Howard Garfinkel, who's the best shooter in the camp. Howard Garfinkel said Matt Rowe. I did a clinic with him. He kind of recruited me a little bit uh, at Providence. Um, maybe I had a good relationship with Coach Beheim, and they never really did a home visit. Coach offered me on the last home visit possible, and I accepted. So it never really got to that point. But Patino's sell to me was – I'll get you to the NBA with individual workouts. Um, he kind of told me, I, I love Kentucky. Uh, I'm going to buy horses. I'm never going to move. Well, that didn't really work out that way. And I just, with probation, I didn't, it wasn't really a viable option for me. They had a heck of a roster. They had a lot of great guys coming back. So I, I kind of hemmed and hawed. My third visit was to Loyola Marymount. Uh, my host was Hank Gathers. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah, he he took me to the movie Batman uh, with his girlfriend. Uh, great team, uh, Bo Kimball, Fryer, uh, Peabody. Just you know, this was before they went crazy with the way they ran up the score. But the thing I didn't really like was the fact that it was across the country, a uh, lot farther away from home than I wanted to be, and it just I, I just didn't have the right feeling there. Just it's farther away than I wanted to be. And my fourth. You went crazy. to see Batman with Hank Gathers on a visit yeah. to L'Oreal Marymount. And he passed away that year. It's the most tragic thing I had to watch the following year. It's just, it gives me chills talking about it. 
I must um, have really, I mean, if you were of a certain age back in those days and you know who Hank Gathers was and how good he was and you, and you remember, you know, watching him pass away, basically, um, the, well, that must have hit you incredibly hard. Hard, very hard, very hard. And, and, it, and it's super, you know, one of the leaders of that team, um, you know, just respected heart. Never, you know, when you're watching play pickup, he reminded me of a taller uh, version of, of Sherman Douglas, as crazy as that sounds. Like whenever you were on Sherman's team at, at Syracuse, whether it's three on three, four and four half court, hated to lose, would inspire you to win and just would, would, would gut and claw your eyes out to win that game. That's the way Sherman was. And then Hank had a lot of those same characteristics, kind of a silent leader. It's very weird. Um, and amazing how that team responded with the run they made in the NCAA tournament, um, you know, after his loss. But just, yeah, tough one. Um, my fourth visit was to Rutgers. Um, you know, they were calling it, uh, you know, Syracuse East because Keith had already transferred there and Earl, my roommate, was there at the time. So okay. that was my fourth visit. And, I, and, and here's, the, here's the crazy thing, Mike. When, when I left to go visit schools, what was told to, to my father and I, uh, it was if you don't like any schools when you transfer, you're welcome back. So it got to the point after my fourth visit that I was honestly thinking of that fork in the road again of maybe coming back. Oh. Uh, but in my mind, I knew that, I'm, you know, whether scoring's right, wrong, or indifferent, 10 a game, 11 a game's really not wowing people unless you make it all the way to the end and win it all. You're the fourth or fifth option. And I was going to be the fourth or fifth option coming back um, with that team. And, you know, guards usually back in that day were averaging 17 or 18, which what I, was what I did at Maryland. Um, but here's the thing. Um, I'm looking at options and all of a sudden Gary Williams gets hired from Ohio State to Maryland. And we reached out to them. They were very interested. I went down on a visit. Um, loved the visit. At the time, my sister Amber had just graduated from Maryland. So I knew the campus. I knew College Park. Knew all about Len Bias. Um, was told at the time from what Maryland thought with her AD and Gary that they were going to get a slap on the wrist um, from the NCAA and they were going to pay back the 400 500,000 they had made from the NCAA tournament the prior year. And that was going to be it from the Bob Wade era who replaced Lefty Drizel. And a lot of it had to do with the recruiting of Alonzo Mourning, um, improper gifts, uh, some, of the, some of the things with coaches driving players to class. There was a lot there of lack of institutional control. So as I'm down in Maryland, I'm getting interviewed by them, which I knew nothing about. And I'm also getting interviewed by Von Schenick and King on the Syracuse investigation in 89-90. Uh, so it was a tough time. And so Maryland gets whacked with, you know, almost a death penalty. They get, I'm down there, and they get hit with uh, three years no TV live. They get hit with no ACC tournament for three years. They get hit no, with no NCAA tournament. And the crazy part about our team down there is I kind of picked a spot it was going to have an unbelievable team. My redshirt year down there, I'm practicing every day with Tony Massenberg. We played with the Spurs for 12 years. Gerard Mustafa is a sophomore who got drafted by the Knicks first round. He declares the year, my redshirt year, to go to the NBA. It was a, you know, almost a lottery pick. And the one kid I never knew about 
it was strictly amazing that when I went down there, uh, reminded me of a combination between Derek Coleman and Billy Owens was a guy named Walt Williams, um, uh, the Wiz. I, mean, yeah. I played in the backcourt with him. And the problem is how bad things got done. Like he stays and he keeps that program afloat. Um, he's an amazing player. We, my senior year, after I redshirt 90-91, we finished fifth, I believe, in the ACC and tie Virginia, beat them at home on senior day. They had Stith, Ryan Strith, and, and uh, Crotty. Um, yeah. And uh, John Crotty and, and Ryan Stith. And uh, we beat them to tie them. Our ACC was so strong that year, Mike, that Duke wins it all with Leitner, and Carolina is in the final four. And we beat every team in the ACC, you know, Wakehead, uh, you know, uh, Anthony Tucker, uh, uh, Dale Davis, Clemson had Dale Davis, uh, Eldon Campbell, um, uh, NC State had uh, Chris Corciani and, and Rodney Monroe. Um, Pretty good backcourt. Chris King was a guy at Wake. I mean, they're loaded at Wake. So we beat every team in ACC, and we could. the only two teams we didn't beat that year were Duke and Carolina. They beat us both times at home. Um, and we would have been in the NCAA tournament. It's a great team. But what people don't know about that team is Walt Williams breaks his leg seven games into my senior last year there. And the hard part was, let's go back to three-point percentages. I go from 47, I don't know what God's name, I shot like 34, 33, 35%, I think, my senior Maryland. I, I almost got thrust into playing a combo guard of point and shooting guard. We had a kid named Kevin McClinton who was a, was a sophomore who came in and filled in great with Walt, and we would kind of share the ball handling duty. So, again, I was getting more of my points off drives and pull-ups, and we pressed. Gary was a big guy on pressing full court. And, um, you know, I couldn't only imagine, though, you know, Walt and I averaged 17 a game that year of what we would have been if he could have played the whole year because he was unstoppable. He The next year he went through the ACC and averaged almost 30 a game in ACC play, most talented player I've been around on a daily basis. It could just do a lot of things. And, you know, he had a 10, 11 year career in the NBA. Yeah. You know, talking about the transfer to Maryland brings me to another subject. I wanted to get to you here. <clears throat> you know, it's in, I think it's 2008 and you've moved back to the area here and Syracuse is looking for a color analyst for their radio broadcasts for the basketball games. And here's a guy like yourself who transferred. You yeah. didn't finish your career here. Yeah. And, and yet you get that job. And I always wondered, you know, what Jim Beheim said about that. Uh, did he have any role to play in, and whether you did or didn't get that job, because a lot of coaches could have harbored a lot of uh, resentment or bitterness to a kid that that uh, that left. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I listen. I, I think he did. I, I don't know for sure. I know I was first asked by Matt Park um, to fill in a game. At the time, I think they were rotating through some former players, like Jeannie Walder. I think was doing it for a while. Um, Tony Karens was doing it for a while too. Um, they were splitting it up. And I think my first year, we kind of rotated. I only did a couple of exhibition games and it worked with Matt. But at the time, you know, the company's IMG, so I'm sure the higher ups had to okay it. But look at 
it, it, at one point it had to be asked of Coach Bainheim, do you do you want this? Do you approve of it? Um, and I'm sure, you know, that's a tough one. That's a tough call on him. Um, I never really thought, Mike, when I transferred, I knew I closed the door when I went down to College Park. I thought I'd never, ever, 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 ever be back in, in Syracuse. And, I, and I've lived here since, you know, almost 18 years, uh, since 2003 and moved back. And I did it really um, when I got out of coaching in Fairfield uh, to raise kids. You know, I knew it was a safe place. I knew it's a great cost of living. Uh, I didn't really realize the lack of sun. <laughs> you know, you don't when you live here and you move back. And my wife constantly reminds me that she's from Boston, uh, that uh, we don't we don't see the sun here much from November to, to, to May. But um, it was tough. I, I'm sure Coach had to approve it at some level. Uh, it was it was a it was a weird dynamic coming back uh, because I you know some people when I meet with them is now I'm a State Farm agent. Last 16 years, or, you know, they'll ask. They, they don't know I transferred. They'll ask, "Why did you transfer? Why did you move back?" And I really never thought I would be back here. But I, a lot of kudos to him. I'm sure at some point. Um, the, the really weird thing for me, Mike, is um, I got to play in a, a Legends game at Syracuse, which is really weird uh, for former alums at the Dome. I don't know if you remember that. And Carmelo was back, didn't play, and it was just. Really weird putting on the, the number three jersey or was a, a T-shirt at the time uh, with Syracuse on it playing at the Dome. Uh, you know, I hadn't done it uh, since 89, 1989. So that was really weird. And I actually saw, you know, running into Coach during doing the radio, uh, doing the color, I, you know, have to interview him at halftime. So that, you know, that kind of tension, I guess, was over and, and things were forgiven. Um and um, I think that, um, you know, I, I, that, that game, the Legends game, I went up to the locker room. I said, you know, I really thank you for allowing me to play in this. You know, it was kind of emotional for me. And he just said, you know, not a problem. It wasn't a big deal for him. So it takes a lot for him to, to, to accept that and, um, you know, want to help out a former player. And, and again, I think people have this conception of doing a radio um, as a job. It wasn't. You know, for me, I'm a perfectionist. I want to do well for Matt Park and put out a good production. But it really wasn't, um, you know, a hustle, a side hustle job. I mean, I was doing well as a State Farm agent. You have to declare outside interest at State Farm if you're on the board or doing those things. So, you know, wasn't making a lot of money doing it, right? It was a fun thing. It was kind of a hobby for me. Mm -hmm. And the weird thing, people ask me, why did it end? And Here's another interesting story is that um, when the last year I did it, you're going to know better than me, it was probably, if I had to guess, it was probably 2000. What was the year they went to the Final Four and lost to Michigan? Your, your last year on the year was 2013 when they went to the Final Four. I knew you knew it. So, so 2013, eight years ago, so I'm going to put my son at eight years old. He's 16, turning 17 um, next month. So it's the last year of the Big East, okay? And it's uh, – ask me my story about John Thompson, which I'll tell you too if you want. But I interviewed John Thompson at the at Madison Square Garden, probably one of the funnest interviews I've ever done. Um, they did the 30 and 30 for it. So we're playing – Georgetown, we lose to um, Louisville in the final game, Patino, coming full circle with Patino. 
and we're away for a full eight days. Uh, you know, you fly with a team, as you know, come back with them. I come home uh, for two days, pack a bag, and head out to San Jose. Right. Uh, we're out there. We win two games, fly home, pack a bag. We go down to Washington, D.C. So going back to the D.C. area that I love, and we beat Marquette in Indiana. Uh, Sweet 16 Elite Eight. Come home for a day, pack my bags, head down to Atlanta, Final Four. You're down there a day, you know, three or four days early. Yes. We play on Saturday, lose to Michigan. And, and as you know, uh, Louisville wins it all, and they should have lost to Wichita State, right? Wichita right. State had the semis. Yes. Um, so Michigan losing the finals. We lose in the Final Four on a Saturday. I pick up my phone on Saturday. My wife sends me a video of my son, Trevor, playing at the Y. He's eight years old. Now I'm watching the video on my phone and I'm like, this is the last time I'm going to watch him on video. I want to watch his, my daughter, Lexi and his games live. I, I can't, I can't do this. And it brought me back to coaching at Fairfield. I was not married at the time, but there's, there's people don't realize these coaches and the sacrifice that the Alan Griffins and the Red Autries and the Jerry McNamara's and the coach Bayheims of what they go through on a yearly basis. They think that they're not playing it's off season. They're dealing with camps. They're dealing with recruiting. They're out on the road. It's a nonstop calendar year. And when I was doing the radio and working at State Farm, you know, there's no downtime. And I'm watching my kids on video. And I'm like, this is the reason that I got out of coaching is to watch them. So that was the last game. And, and Joe Baldini was our, our boss at the time at IMG. And I had a lunch with him at Drummond's and just listen, probably a month after the season, this is it. Um, it's funny because he came to me saying, you guys are doing great. We're going to give you a raise. And I'm like, Joe, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, uh, I'm done. And, uh, you know, knew Jim Saddle and knew he did a lot of commentating and kind of suggested Jim and, and the rest is history. But, you know, I don't know if I ever get back into it. You know, I have two years left with my son um, at FM and, and my daughter just started at Niagara and I'm, I'm going to try to catch as many games as I can with them and continue to do that. But bittersweet, loved being involved with it. Loved that Coach Beheim kind of, you know, accepted me back into the fold. It was great times, great, you know, six or seven year run, but, but uh, it was time to move on from it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. You mentioned your kids there and, you know, you, you, you stopped the radio gig so you could be around them and watch them play, maybe coach them a little bit. Um, Lexi is going to be a freshman at Niagara this year on the basketball team there. Good for her. Yeah. And then Trevor, you mentioned him going into his junior year at FM. I hear he's what, six foot eight now? Yeah, he's six eight. Um, you know, he he's starting by in the last uh, two or three years really into you see he's seen he's seen what Lexi's done um, with her talent and her work ethic. And um, you know, Lexi. Lexi's a grinder. You know, she's a gym rat. She loves to compete. She's got a motor. Um, you know, is always in great shape. And, um, you know, like her mom. They, they, it's, that's what they get from their mom. They, they get that endurance gene. Um, no doubt. For the listeners that don't know, Matt's <clears throat> wife, Kristen, is or is or was, I'm not sure if he's still doing it or not, but an incredible triathlete. And she's done Ironman competitions and basically kicks, kicks Matt's butt whenever they go for a run together. Right. Right. No, it's a great, it's absolute truth. The funny thing about my wife though, that I will say uh, is um, we, we grew up in my household. Uh, SSR is very competitive. Um, you know, hand-eye sports, a lot of tennis, ping pong, um, 
obviously football, baseball, basketball, tennis was my first love, but we always grew up with a ping pong table in our basement, got very competitive. And um, my wife is a phenomenal, you know, hiker, iron woman, iron man, runs ultra marathons, 100 miles, 50 miles, amazing stuff. And he's actually got out of that, that triathlon things and got more into hiking, now getting back more into the triathlons again uh, to do Lake Placid next year, I think. But um, if you threw a ball at my wife, um, there's probably a 50% chance she may or may not catch it, uh, may bruise her in the face. Um, love her to death, but, but not a hand-eye. She wants to get into tennis now, but not hand-eye where, you know, I, I think my kids get the endurance from her, but more the hand-eye things from me. I'm just going to say that. So we'll put that on the record. But um, so, so Lexi is more the grinder, endurance, and, and Trevor is starting to catch on to that. I, mean, I think he's going to have a breakout year this summer. Uh, he plays for the Albany City Rocks with Jim Hart. Um, but um, he, he's, you know, 6'8". Um, he's looking forward to this season and a very hard worker and um, kind of driven. Um, I think he's a year ahead of where I was at that age. Um, just because of the height, I think he's more of a scorer. And you, you saying the game's changed more to threes, I think any college team that gets him will be blessed because, you know, good kid, good student, and a uh, really hard worker. All right. We're getting near the end of the podcast. Yeah. You got to take us home with a John Thompson story or two. I love it. So uh year I left Cuse, 89, uh, I asked John Thompson my last question. Um, meanwhile, I'll preface this a little bit, say – um, my only, and maybe this is why Stevie didn't pass me on that fast break hike. My only Chevrolet player of the game I ever got was at Georgetown in the cap center. It's all we lived for as college athletes. You know, they put it up on CBS, you know, you, you, we all wore those CBS hats, CBS banners. You, you knew covering Syracuse as the beat writer, you knew when CBS was in the dome, right? I mean, it was just a different atmosphere. We were always on ESPN. CBS was nationwide or we thought during a Saturday, Sunday. So I get a Chevy player of the game at Georgetown. We did lose that game. I think Stevie was upset because I, 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 in the first half, I score uh, four threes, and the last one was right in front of John Thompson on the bench. He's got the towel draped over him, and he yells at his team, and I can't use it because there's a lot of swear words in there that basically this guy doesn't score again for the rest of the blanking game and calls a timeout right in front of me. And I didn't score the rest of the game. Uh, they were, they, I, I missed up you. But with, with, with Mark Tillman and Mark Bryant, I didn't get much breathing room in the second half. And Stevie, kind of at the end of the game, you know how he gets his late buckets. And, you know, he probably had 15, 16 points. Who knows? He's a scoring machine. That's what he did. And he gets on the bus. And I think he got a call from his mom that said, you didn't get the Chevy player of the game. Matt Rowe did. Maybe that's why I didn't get the pass on the – on the hike paths because he probably deserved the Chevy player over me. So that's my only really, you know, one-on-one -on -one exchange with Don Thompson. You know he's a fiery guy. Grew up in Syracuse, going to Manly Fieldhouse, seeing Georgetown, who was a crappy team back then, beat Syracuse, and John Thompson grabs the microphone, as we all know, and says Manly Fieldhouse is officially closed. So I go to John Thompson with a microphone before the last game they played him at Madison Square Garden, semifinals of the Big East Tournament. I go to John and say, can I interview you? Sure. He's great. Gives me like five, 10 minutes. So this is I in 2013. 2013. Well, last year on the air. Okay. Correct. 
Okay. So my last question to John Thompson, and I'm thinking, I am asking the question, John, I didn't call him John, coach, um, what is your best favorite moment of the rivalry of Syracuse Georgetown? And I'm thinking he's going to, it's an easy lob, a lot ball question, right? If he's going to talk about closing down Manly Fields. And he doesn't go with that, Mike. He says that the game at the Dome in 1989, I believe, you know better than me, 1989, maybe 90, it was a calendar year in past January, they're playing at the Dome. And he gets booted out, correct, with a, with a double technical. Three Ts. Three. Okay. Okay, so this is his favorite Syracuse moment, okay? So uh, you, he's closed manly. He's, you know, he's had an orange thrown at the backboard when Patrick Ewing played and took his team off the floor. He's had to have Beheim get on the microphone and say, no swearing. Let's not throw anything. I'm seeing it all. I've seen all. All the rivalry. We knew when we were playing Georgetown. Coach Bam would make us play the starters five against seven. You knew you were coming against someone's going to grab and tug and beat the crap out of you, right? So his favorite moment, he gets three T's. He's sitting back in the Georgetown visiting locker room, and you've been in those locker rooms that are absolutely god-awful compared to what we get treated home at Syracuse versus the football visiting locker room. It's just, you know, aluminum and, you know, just lockers and a couple stalls and showers. It's very tight. So he's sitting back there, and he's watching the game on a live feed, and he's just – and they're winning the whole way, and all he wants to do is have Georgetown win. That's all he wants to do. And then he tells a story – of Sam Jefferson, correct? Yes. Sam Jefferson following Billy Owens at half court. And did Billy, how many free throws did Billy shoot to put it in overtime? Four? I think it was a one and one, and he had to make them both. Made them both. So he's watching this game slowly deteriorate. And all he's hoping for, Mike, is a win. That's all he wants is a win. And I said, why? And he goes, because I'm coming out after the game, and I want to go to midcourt and wave goodbye to all the fans and say goodbye and blow kisses, and he said it never got to happen. And he goes, that's my biggest regret, but it's my favorite moment, but it's the worst watching this game slowly deteriorate and losing in overtime this year. It's unbelievable. That's amazing. I can just – I can see Big John coming back out of the tunnel. That's all he wanted. He said not the tunnel, but Mike, he said he was going to half court. <laughs> Wait, goodbye to everybody. Couldn't do it. That's great. That's awesome. That's great stuff. Matt, listen, um, I, I knew this was going to be fun. Uh, the, the moment you texted me after listening to Stevie's oh, podcast. With, um, so I thank you so much for reaching out and then joining us here today. Mike, I want to thank you, and I know you, you're humble, and you always laugh when I do this, but I come up a lot of times in Newhouse to speak to your class. You always ask great questions. Um, you are the pro of pros. I love watching your podcast. I love you know, Mike's mailbox. I love reading your stuff. Um, some people think because you rate me as the most valuable transfer out of Syracuse. I'm with you. My father is with you, too. Um, but, no, you're the consummate pro. Uh, you are fair. Um, you ask the right questions. You don't, you are not fearful of sometimes getting yelled at. I, I've been at your press conferences. I know it happens, but you, you always report the facts and you always do your research and you are the consummate pros. Syracuse is lucky to have you for, what is it? 30, 31, 32 years now here, right? It doesn't matter. I'm cutting 32, off. 32, 32. You're, you're amazing. 
And maybe it's your, your Midwestern background, but you, you are an amazing, you are an amazing person and amazing at your job. Right? Thank you. Well, listen, I appreciate it. And uh, it's always been great talking to you from uh, the first time I probably interviewed you when you were an undergrad at Syracuse until yeah. all the way through now. And uh, we, we probably have a, so much more in common now as dads and kids and, and stuff like that. So again, I thank you so much for coming on here and thank telling you. some awesome appreciate stories. Appreciate it. All right, Matt, be good. Thank you. I want to thank Matt for joining me on the podcast today. And thanks to you out there as well for listening in. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast and follow all of our complete coverage of Syracuse basketball on Syracuse.com. Until next time on the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast, I'm Mike Waters.